Welcome to CTO Confessions with TC Gill. Brought to you by IT Labs. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This episode of CTO Confessions is brought to you by the one and only IT Labs, providing technology leaders with purpose-driven development teams for high-performance, innovation and productivity. What more could you want? Please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing quality, high-performing teams off that shelf. And your host today is me, TC Gill, IT Labs Chief Talking Officer, and I'm speaking from London, UK. And in this episode, we're going to be talking to the Chief Information Technology Officer of a company that works in the risk space, and he's a fellow podcast host. Ryan, our guest, tells us about the problem the company that he's working for is solving in the market and the lessons he has learned on his long tech journey to where he is now. So let's not delay. Let's get Ryan into the space to share his enlightening stories and knowledge. Welcome, Ryan. Welcome to CTO Confessions Podcast. Thanks, TC. It's good to be here. Brilliant. So tell the audience a little bit about yourself. What do you do and who do you work for? So I do a couple of things. I'm the CIO for a business called Hilo Maritime Risk, um, which is in the shipping industry. And we take data from all the shipping companies that are signed up and use that to predict their risk. Uh, and the risk is specifically around uh, safety and saving lives. So ways to avoid a critical injury or, or someone dying. Um, that's a that's a couple of days a week. And then I also run a podcast called the Digital Workspace Works. Um, which talks about the inner workings of working digitally, uh, you know, the sort of phrases like digital nomad or uh, in the enterprise space, uh, the end user. Um, I then also am a non-exec uh, for a business called Azure Solutions, uh, which is a Microsoft Gold partner um, that focuses on information workers, so things like SharePoint, CRM, uh, and then bespoke software integrations. Um, and then I do some ad hoc consulting mentoring uh, as well. Uh, when, when the opportunity presents. Great. That's uh, quite, quite a nice spectrum of uh, different roles there. Um, I'm curious as to your journey to your uh, current position as a tech leader. What was that journey like? Yeah, yeah, I think it's always been my goal. Um, I, I started off like most techies uh, as a developer uh, almost 20-something years ago, uh, working for a Microsoft partner here in Johannesburg. Um, and, and uh, you know, as much as I could write code, uh, I always knew that I wasn't going to be the best developer. There was there was guys that were definitely leaps and bounds ahead of me and, and got you know very technical concepts better than I did. Yeah. But my uh, my sort of natural skill set was to pick up information quite quickly and then be able to explain it to someone who didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, so I very quickly moved from being a um, a developer to being an architect uh, and then a manager. Um, so technology manager was the role that I had, which basically made me a mini CIO at the time. So I was doing internal infrastructure for the business uh, and then anything to do with project work as well. So uh, at that stage, uh, we're talking sort of 2004, um, we were building um, a solution for a large uh, paper and pulp manufacturer. We, we built a one of the first global intranets using SharePoint. So back when SharePoint was called, um, well, we nicknamed SharePoint, but SharePoint <laughs> 2001, SharePoint yeah. 2003 had just been bought by Microsoft. Um, we were deploying 20, 27 instances across the globe to support this company. Uh, we won a whole lot of awards for it as well. Um, Enterprise Search was the one thing. So the search you have in SharePoint now is, it's not, I wouldn't say it's based on what we did, but it's very similar to what we did. Yeah. Um, 
and that's you know going through that that journey of sort of three years of doing that you know you know sleeping in my chair and sleeping underneath my desk while we while we wrote code wow. um really set up you know my, my fundamentals um fundamentals that i still use today uh and i think that's that's always a key thing is to have good basics um but it you know, I had to manage the customer. I had to deal with with some really tough discussions with the customer as a, as a 20 year old, um, which you know it, it serves you in good stead when you're dealing with the CIO of the business and, and they're number two, and they're asking you really tough questions. And, and I mean, I had a good boss with me at the time, um, and you get and you're seeing you know what you can do and what you shouldn't do, and and how to approach you know a, a tough conversation, you know yeah. where you know potentially you guys have screwed the pooch. And you need to explain to the business that, that that's paying your bills that that you screwed the pooch and it's going to cost them more money um because even though you screwed the pooch you still want them to pay for fixing you know the said pooch um so so that yeah that kind of led me on the journey so i so i worked in the Microsoft partner space for um probably uh probably about 10 11 years uh, and then moved into a software vendor um, some of those those partners were, vend- were were sort of independent software vendors as well. They built their own products. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my wife got a job on the Olympics after working on the Soccer World Cup. And that kickstarted us into moving to the UK. And um, that moved me over to the, to the client side where I was no longer this vendor uh, or, or system integrator. I was now actually the customer defining things. And, and that kind of gave me, in, in my mind, the best balance between the three parties uh, you know, someone selling software, someone implementing software, and someone, you know, needing the software. Um, and every role that I that I w- was in was was always a technical role, but always a technical role that needed to explain it to someone that was not technical. Yeah. Um, and then I moved. Uh, so that was that was working for a large American bank. Uh, initially, uh, I then moved to a large uh, real estate company where I was really, um, I'd say, a junior CIO or junior CTO. Um, I, I sort of made up my own title which was enterprise services um which was a way to to talk to the way the business was set up it was every country had their own coo their own ceo um and that was largely because uh the companies had had been acquired uh under the brand mm. um but what, what it meant is they had their own pnls and you were basically going to talk to them about delivering some sort of technology solution but you're taking out of their bottom line so it's actually a, it's actually a very much a sales gig more than a an implementation gig. But once you sold it, you had to go and deliver it, yeah. um, which is very much how I'd always seen the sort of CIO CTO role. You know, presenting to a board of COOs why they need to invest their money and what their value would be, um, and then getting them to, to sign on the, the, the dotted line and then run the project as well. So so it's sort of the whole life cycle. Yeah. Um, and and that that was actually quite quite successful uh, to a large extent. Um, I got a bit uh, um, disillusioned, if you like, and I wanted to go back to the software game. So I did a short stint as a pre-sales guy with a, with a cloud company and, and realized that actually that's not what I wanted to do. I wanted to do the CIO thing. So I kept applying for CIO and CTO roles and, and not really getting it. And then fortunately, someone gave me a call and said, there's this, this business, Hilo, looking for a CTO. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, sign me up. Yeah, uh, and here we are three years later. Now, when I joined them, uh, they were using Excel spreadsheets to run the business. Uh, and now three years later, they're using a software as a service platform to run the business. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've done a lot to to build a product, um, to put in place a lot of the procedures, the the structures you need to to run a business in, in, as, as a software as a service vendor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's been quite a ride. Excellent. That sounds great. I mean, I, I love the idea of 
um, getting your kind of leadership and experience and all these kind of the kind of three areas that are important to kind of uh, uh, creating a customer centric organization and and, uh, and mm-hmm. really understanding. I mean, it's a question I've got later on. I'm going to bring it forward, which is, you know, advice to kind of aspiring tech leaders out there, you know, based on your journey. I mean, what would your advice be uh, to, to do or not to do? Yeah, I actually wrote this on the on the treadmill this morning. Um, so, I, so I think a key thing to to everything I've done is never be the the bottleneck to anything you're doing. Um, so, and, and that's not to say avoid accountability or avoid responsibility. You still have to have those things. But as you as you progress in your career from being a, a contributor, you know, a specialist uh, like a developer or a project manager or a BA or something, uh, to leading teams, you need to really be out of their way. Um, and you need to realize that you need to be, you need to trust them and, and, and empower them to do what they need to do. That's why you've got them. You know, they, they usually are experts or very good at what they do. Um, but you need to make sure that you're out, you're, you're not in their way. Uh, so that's that's probably my my one thing at the moment that's kind of in my head. My team starting to, the team that I'm running at the moment is really starting to make good decisions by themselves. Yeah. Um, so I'm really the sounding board more than the. I've never liked the dictatorial way of of running a team. Um, more the you know, nudging, helping, guiding, you know, um, yes. approach. Um, the other thing is you've got to listen a lot. Um, uh, you know, you don't, ha- and you don't have to be the expert on anything. Um, in, in most cases, just listening and, and trying to understand and being curious will lead everyone to the solution. And it's, a, and it's, a, it was a bad habit of mine for a long time where I had a solution in my head and that's why I wanted everyone to agree on. Uh, I've had to learn over time to to just sit back, listen, and, and it's you know understand why we're doing something. It's very much Simon Sinek's um, why, how, what uh, method, um, yeah. plus a bit of Lean Six Sigma, uh, asking why a lot. Um, that's those are my those are my main things that I sort of try and get all my guys to think about and, and approach with. Brilliant. Yeah, that's some great advice for for for, for generally leaders in general. I think you know there's a great wisdom in there. So coming to your company, uh, the company that you're working for, Hilo, that particular one, which is kind of maritime risk. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm really interested in that because um, I, I imagine it's a, there's a lot of risk in that kind of industry. There's lots of things that can go wrong. Um, so describe to the audience how that works. And w- w- what are the examples of, uh, of the solutions that you provide? Yeah, so, so the main thing, as I said, is about saving lives. Um, so Hilo actually started five years ago as a... Um, a project run within the 10 largest shipping companies. Um, so there's, there's m- multiple organizations uh, in the space, um, but what there wasn't is someone that, that's independent of all the shipping companies that, that receives their, their commercially sensitive data. And we're the only ones that receive this data mm-hmm. um, and uses that information in a risk framework to, to, predict the, to predict where we could save lives. Now that risk framework was developed in conjunction with these 10 shipping companies. So, so you can picture you know, 10 experts sitting in a room with the risk expert and, and uh, you know, a couple of captains and going through every single scenario that you can think of that someone can get killed or, mm. or critically injured. And that, and they call, we, we call it undesired events, um, which is, you know, like a, like a collision or a total loss or, or a lesion. Um, and there's, you know, 30, 40 of, of those. 
Um, and then you think about the symptoms that lead up to those things. So for a total loss, it could be a group of, of undesired events or it could be a leading event. So total loss obviously means the vessel goes down. Um, that could be because of, an, of a collision. That could be because of a fire. That could be... Um, could be due to an elision, which is, means they hit something stationary. Um, and you go through sort of the thought processes to, to what could cause these things. And then the next part to it is what do you do about it? So if we predict for a customer that their biggest risk is flooding, uh, which could be caused by a seawater system failure, which means that basically, you know, the, the, the ship is, is filling up with water, they could do something proactively which is really the key here to avoid these things in the future. So what we're doing is basically taking experts from the, from the industry, sharing their knowledge, but we also giving them a tangible um, metric to tie to, to show that they're actually improving themselves. So it's been quite a journey. Um, it's very nicely supported by the industry. Um, and in the same token, we're growing as we apply more, the risk models are done per vessel type. We're, we're, we're rolling out more vessel types you know, every year. So we're seeing more and more ways that we can help the industry. Brilliant. I love it. I, I, I'm a big believer in uh, risk management, uh, you know, risk registers. This is almost like a risk register for the industry, you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, a collection of information, collection of learning, uh, and then kind of passing on the, the advice. Uh, does this kind of feed into regulation and stuff like that? Um, we've avoided that for, for a while. Um, and, and I can't speak to some of what we're going to be doing in the future, but in a way we are, I don't want to say a rubber stamping exercise because we're not that we're helping the, the com our customers to, to be more tighter on their regulatory stuff. We, we feel, well, we, you know, we could feed into it in some stage. Um, but what it's really highlighting is that the things that they do on a day-to-day -day basis can actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. And, and you'll see that where you know, go back to my example of flooding, flooding might be the number one risk in one quarter it might be the third risk in the next quarter it might be off the list in the next quarter after that because they've run some sort of campaign internally to uh you know train their staff better to increase the maintenance on something um or whatever it is yeah. uh, and there's a way to track it and trace it brilliant love it and uh I guess there's kind of two sides to this. You, you mentioned that the, the purpose of the company is to kind of save lives, which is um, you know uh, great to hear, and the fact the industry is kind of taking that really seriously, you know. Um, um, but there's also kind of like a bottom line. Risk also has a financial kind of impact. Is that something mm -hmm. that you kind of quantify uh, to help uh, put up the mirror so that people can see the cost of not doing this, additional to the uh, potential loss of uh, unfortunate you know lives. Yeah, so, so I don't want to get into the murky waters, excuse the pun. Um, so so the, the, the insurance companies will give you a, a number, they'll value a life at whatever it is, and I can't remember the number top of my head. What we're going to be doing, and this, this is releasing um, quite soon, is we're saying if you can reduce this risk um, by 10%, yeah. that has X financial value, that has X life value. Yeah. Um, so if we're predicting that flooding will, will, will cost you um 10 lives and by reducing that by 10 percent, it's going to it's going to cost you nine lives and reducing it by 50 percent, you can get it down to five lives um by doing these things and whatever those things are yeah. that's that's really the it, it's the right behaviors that we're yes. trying to to promote and, and and i guess the feedback looped back to the company is is um a financial kind of uh uh, is de-risked and, and the insurance is going to be less, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, yeah, and that's why we, we don't get involved in the insurance stuff. Um, 
it's a bit of, as I say, that's the murky waters because one of the things that obviously the insurance companies want is they want the data we have. Yeah. Um, but we protect that data, you know, quite securely um, because we also don't want to get involved in, we don't want, we want the customers that send us their data to trust us to not yeah. Yeah. give away the data to third parties. Um, so we, we don't get involved in that. But but in theory, you, if you know, if you're thinking about this in another way, yes, you could say because I'm a member of Hilo, you should get a 10% discount on your premium. Yeah. Um, but that's that's just you know yeah, we, we haven't it, yeah we haven't gone down that route at all. It, it, it reminds me of a, a previous CTO that we had, and uh, the company was uh, Dental Dental Beam, and they were actually in, in America where they were using telematics of a toothbrush of all things. You know, how can you make mm -hmm. a toothbrush any more kind of uh, sophisticated, but they were using telematic data from toothbrush and then it would actually have an impact on their um, dentist insurance, you know, dental insurance, which was a, a, a really interesting, uh, you know, uh, take on uh, using technology. So to coming to the technology that you're using in this space, then it, it sounds like, you know, your, your leadership here has kind of um, streamlined the, the way in which, the information is collected and the conclusions you make from it yeah so it's an optimization problem to a large extent um so we when as i said when we started it was excel spreadsheets for everything um now that's been built into a software as a service platform uh it's about getting the data in from the customers in as frictionless a way as possible uh so using things like apis and automation um and then getting the outputs to the customers in a way that they can use it and understand it um as simply as possible wow. so it's, there have been some you know evolutionary things that have had to happen where we've just had to take the um the chance on a new ui or a new report or something like that um the other thing that we deal with is quite a lot of data so there's a machine learning element uh in the product which helps us with classification of the data um and then we are doing some more stuff with with, with various types of ai techniques uh in the future um to do stuff for the customers, which I also can't really talk too much about, but but there's quite a heavy uh, and, and the irony for me always is that if you think about the started with, with tankers, where oil was the was the commodity and the high value commodity, and in, in our business the high commodity value is the data, yes. uh, and the data we've transformed into actionable information. I'm also curious about the business model that uh, your company has, because obviously you're collecting all this data, providing it. Is it like a membership fee? Is that the business yeah. model? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, at a simplest form, it's a subscription model. Um, and and what we're doing as we add new features of functionality, uh, we're adding you know different SKUs on top where yeah. customers can sign up for that. And it's also based on size of fleet and, and those sorts of things. Brilliant. Um, okay, I've got to come back to yourself, Brian. Your leadership, you kind of mentioned some stuff about your, your leadership style. What what kind of leader are you? How would you how would somebody describe your leadership? There you go, put you on the spot there. Feels like feels like I'm in an interview. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so so I, I like to empower my teams. Um, so I you know I'm very happy to to be there to to fit a role that's missing in the team. So so what I what I mean by that? Um, sometimes you need someone that's gonna drive the meeting someone you need sometimes you need someone that's going to sit back and listen and, and just sort of you know draw the 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 solution out or, or the or the next steps um and sometimes you need someone just going to be be the arsehole um and, and and it really depends on on the team and and where it is um and and that's you know it, it does vary um but I, I would probably go very much down the route of i'm a consultative leader who who likes likes to not be the bottleneck in the team 
um, but keep a finger on the pulse of what's going on. Yeah. So, so I do quite a lot of, I, I, and I like to keep to, to uh, and this is ironic as well, but I'm not, I'm not the most organized person, but I do put in structures that, that make me organized. So for example, there's always a daily operations meeting. There's always a daily scrum. Yeah. Um, if there's a discussion about doing something, you know, that's scheduled in straight away. Um, so, so at least there's a, there's always something targeting for, for something. And I, and I really don't like vague conversations. Um, so I think, you know, most of my team would say that, that, you know, that's the things that they both like and dislike about me is that there's always a, um, put a date on it, put a timeline on it. Yeah. Be, be, be clearer, have a focus on the detail. Yeah, that's brilliant. I, I like that. Um, it, it's interesting you mentioned around the kind of being organised. Uh, that's a, that's an area that I'm challenged with. I'm a, I'm a very organic, you know, uh, kind of person. Things kind of happen. Things are in front of me. Things kind of pop up, you know. Um, and uh, I need that structure as well, like your kind self. Um, oh, well, and that's exactly why things get booked in a diary, because it's very easy to be caught by the next fire drill. Yeah. Um, and then you know, because it's not, it's not in the diary, it goes to, it, it just goes off the list. Yeah. But if you now go look at your diary and go, oh, sure, I've got this uh, podcast with TC today. Yeah. I better check. The, I better read his email because I haven't read it yet. You know, that's already one yeah. step ahead of arriving unprepared. Yeah, that's great. And um, and what what what's not worked for you in the past? I mean, this is a bit of a tough question. So the kind of CTO confession uh, or tech leaders confession. What what's not worked and what did you learn from that? Um, so, so that's actually, um, one of the book recommendations I was going to give you, it's, it's a very similar thing. Um, it's the book I was going to recommend is turning the ship around. Um, I can't think the guy's name, but he was a submarine captain and it, it's the, the thing that's never worked for me is, is very similar to his book. You ca you cannot be the expert on everything. Um, and you also cannot, you cannot continue to put yourself in a position of telling your team what to do and how to solve the problem. Yeah. Um, because when you start doing that, you one lose your team. You know they, they don't they don't buy. You know they, they get tired of get told get tired of being told what to do. Um, but also they don't share with it with you the expertise, which means they're sharing it with someone else. Mm. So you know then you then you start creating a a second you know sort of shadow team where they talk about how you're the idiot and and how they really want to do things. So so that's what I try and and and, and it's very hard to do. Uh, you sit back and you've got to really listen and wait and wait and wait until you're hearing nothing. Now, culturally, that can be quite difficult because most of you know most teams are are now um, sip or disparate or distributed or disparate teams with different cultures. So you have, you know, I've got South Africans working with Indians, working with Greeks, working with Singaporeans, working with British people. Um, you know, every single one of those has got a different different cultural way of of speaking their mind or not speaking their mind. Yeah. Um, and you've really got to get get to know your team and each member um, to put them in a position so that they can uh, contribute, you know, to the maximum potential. Yes. Yeah. I, and I, it's interesting you mentioned that about the kind of different cultures. Uh, I've seen cultures meet each other and they kind of miss communications or the assumptions that come from uh, the different kind of ways there's nothing wrong or right in, in the bit it's just the way they like to work kind of thing and i guess um you know you, you've uh I, you know through your kind of journey as a, as, a, as a leader you've kind of had to learn how to find the little flags you know the red flags well i really need to address that yeah i mean i, I always laugh when i when i tell people about how when i moved to the uk uh, coming from South Africa, where everyone talks very directly, very bluntly, like machine guns. Um, <laughs> going into a meeting with a whole, you know, with a, in in England, 
and everyone sort of talked around the issues and no one really addressed the issues head on. And here was the South African going, but come on, this is the issue. Da, 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 da. And, and almost getting this look of like, what do you even, you know, don't do it that way. And then someone pulling me around outside saying, no, you don't, you don't approach them in the meeting like that. You got to, you got to have a conversation outside. Yeah. And uh, it took me a good two years to, to figure out that those little things. And now coming on to high performing teams, um, how do you go about creating high performing teams? Big question. With, with great difficulty. <laughs> yeah. um, no, I mean, it, it, it is, it is tricky. Um, it does come down to knowing your, your team. Um, I mean, I'm currently trying to do it at, at the moment with the team that I've got. And, you know, what you've really got to get them to understand is they have, they have a role to play. Um, and it also comes from what they've come from. Um, you know, I've been quite lucky. I've worked in very small organizations. I've worked in big organizations. I've worked in huge organizations. Um, but I started off in a small organization where you've always had to do a lot of stuff yourself because there hasn't been someone else to do that work. Mm. Um, you know, so that's probably why I understood infrastructure so well, because I didn't have an infrastructure person initially. I had to, you know, I had to understand it first and I thought, then I could hire someone yeah. to do that role. Now, when, you, when you're sitting with a team, one of the key things is you've, you've got to provide them the, the safe place to share their views where they don't get attacked for sharing their views, regardless of what they are. Um, and, you know, we're, so we're going through a process now um, where I'm building a product team, but most of the people have been only project people. And, and what is that? What's the difference? Well, a project ends, whereas a product never ends. Well, it ends if no one ever uses it anymore. But, but most products, if you look at the Marshall strategy, never end. Um, so, so instead of being, um, well, I mean, a, a product may have little projects inside it, but the reality is you're always going, you're on this hamster wheel going. And what you really want to feel like at the end of each, each rotation is that you've achieved something. And what you're trying to get the, the team to, to grasp is that they, they have a responsibility and an accountability to that achievement. So, so I'll give a very simple example. Uh, I've got a product owner, I've got a business analyst, I've got a QA person, I've got a tech lead. Each one of those things owns a, a piece of the pie. One of them is quality. One of them is the requirement. One of them is technical delivery. Um, what I, what I, and then one is the actual overall product. Um, but they can't function unless they all work together. Yeah. And and what, what they need to understand, and I mean, this is my interpretation of these things, but, but the product owner is really the business voice. The QA person is the quality. The tech lead is the delivery and execution. And the BA person is the interpretation of the business voice. Yeah. into a requirement now if any of those things don't work you have problems mm. now one of the things i'm trying to explain to and, and i've and i've had to take each role at a time and try and get them to do these things but there are common tenants across all of them the do's and don'ts you know so qa should never test in production they should you know no person in that team should ever mess around in production mm. they should have separate environments for everything um the business analyst and the product owner need to always be in alignment. The product owner needs to not necessarily understand all the technical aspects, but they need to make sure that the technical person understands what's coming and so must the BA. And the QA person has to understand everything so they can test it appropriately. Yeah. So the biggest thing to all of this is communication. And one of the, one of the things that I've, I've really struggled to get guys to do and they, and they are doing it uh, you know we, we used to joke about blinkers on eyes like a horse blinkers <laughs> there's a there's a moment where the blinkers come off and they all realize that, that they can just they could just phone someone yeah. so so the first the first sort of maturity step is that they can just contact anyone they like in the business to ask a question yeah. 
yeah. that person be, should be able to answer that, you know, and not brush them off. And if they get brushed off, then they can escalate it. But, but they don't need to channel that question through me or through the product owner to get the answer. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is when I, when I was writing code back in the day, um, there were developers that refused to talk to customers because they, they didn't want to, you know, they, they would actually make a joke about how they, you know, customers are idiots and, and all this kind of stuff. But what was different between me and those guys is I was quite happy to go talk to the customer. I'd quite happily hear what they had to say. I'd quite happily get abused about something that I've done that was poor quality. But in, in hearing all that feedback, you start to refine what you have to fix and what you have to build. And then, you know, there was stuff that I had to throw away. I mean, you know, that, and that's, and that's probably something that culturally we all have to get over is that it's okay to fail. Um, and it's okay to start again. Um, because there's no loss in that learning. Yes. But we're, but culturally or, you know, stereotypically it's, it, we we're sort of taught to, to be perfect all the time, or, you know, if you get feedback on something and you've done something wrong, uh, and that's not the case. If you get feedback on something, it means someone took the interest to, to give you feedback because they want to make it better. Like you want to make it better. Yes. Um, and those are, those are part of the sort of cultural things in the team that I want to get guys to do is that, that, that it's okay to make a decision. It's okay for that decision to be the wrong decision, provided you can recover from that decision. Yes. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, a, as I say, it's a journey, it's difficult, uh, and it's constant iterations. And as a leader, what, what have you done to kind of, uh, smooth out some of those cultural differences, uh, of, of creases, you know, uh, across your teams? Um, I would say almost the usual things. Uh, so we have personality clashes that I've had to, you know, get involved in, uh, you know, monitoring to an extent, not, not, um, sort of black ops or, or, um, anything like that, but just knowing who's working, who's not working, you know, picking up on subtle things. Uh, you can hear it sometimes in, in the tone of, of someone talking to someone else, yeah. um, that you might have to have a conversation on the side and go, well, you know, what's with the tone and, and their sort of complaints and then finding out from the other side. I mean, it's been very interesting, um, and a great learning curve doing this for three years because I've, I've had four different teams in that time. Mm. Um, from the original team to a team I hired in the UK that I had to let go uh, to hiring the team in India. It's been good, but I mean, also with, with COVID, you know, having, having India going through what they've been going through now, um, you know, having people that have been sick and trying to, you know, because they're distributed and, they, and you don't know much beyond them, yeah. you know, having to find out how they're doing and, and talking to relatives to find out how they're doing and, um, and those sorts of things. It's, it's been, you know, very, very insight, uh, uh, enlightening um, to to understand people's circumstances yeah. uh, and where they're coming from. Here you go, is an interesting question for you. What keeps you up at night as a tech leader, Ryan? Nothing really. Um, I tend to sleep pretty well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think the uh, I mean the usual things. You know, there's there's always something you haven't done uh, or you need someone to work on. Um, you know, for us, information security is a big thing. So we have, you know, uh, a lot of, a lot of focus on, on having that stuff as, as best we could, um, you know, from a, from our customer's point of view, you know, are they getting value of what, from what we're building? Um, there's no point spending, you know, all these resources working on stuff if, if no one's going to see value. Mm -hmm. So that does worry me. Um, but I think in that sense, why it doesn't keep me up at night is I make sure that we've got it in, in a place that it can be referenced and, and it's, it's in the, it's always, we're always capturing it. So we know we have to do it. 
yes. uh, and then prioritizing it and, and that. So it doesn't sit in my head because it's out with the team. You know, we're, we're trying to promote the self-organizing concepts of, of Agile, yeah. um, which I learned from you, I think. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, 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 you know, a problem that's shared is, is, is less of a problem. Absolutely, yeah. And, and I guess this is about, um, this is a real good point you make actually around kind of leadership is, is in a way you've got to try and make aspects of it as easy as possible. And, and the key there is to bleed leadership into the teams, you know, so that's yep. responsibility and, and also coming up with uh, uh, perspectives that you probably don't see, you could, you're seeing it from a different angle, you know, so. Yep. Yeah, that's and that comes back to the book that I was going to recommend to you, which is Turn the Ship Around, is yeah. exactly that. You have the submarine captain yeah. who's taken over a vessel and he knows he's never going to be the technical expert. So he has to get each each department to own their piece. Um, and and you, I'm not going to steal the, the thunder of the book. You can go read it. Yeah. Um, but it, it, con it covers all these things. And it's definitely something that I took and went, oh, geez, this is exactly what I'm going through right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's great. I, and so we're kind of, um, I mean, that is a really good book. Uh, I haven't finished it myself. You know, it's one of those one of those damn books I start to read and never quite get to the end. Jeez, of it. But, yeah. I couldn't put it down. I finished yeah. it in like a day. I, I'm a, I think I've got a bit of a magpie brain going on at times, you know, so <laughs> <laughs> and any other books that have been gateway books for you that you think other tech leaders or leaders in general would be good to read yo i had a long list for this um so team of teams i quite enjoyed um uh, i'm thinking about recent books that i've read um i quite like that because that was the the organizational change that the, the u.s military had to go through uh in order to fight the war in afghanistan i'm not condoning the war um but what I am condoning is that is the change of structure they had to take from this hierarchical, very slow process of to make decisions to a more um, networked structure yeah. to what we current what we you know commonly see in, in a corporate environment where even though there's a hierarchy, everyone that works you know people that can navigate those structures and usually navigate because they're good networks. Yeah. Uh, and good connections. Um, so I quite enjoyed that as a, as a good book. Uh, there's a lot of technical books like Lean Startup um, yeah. and that sort of thing, which, um, you know, are, are, if you're going to be building product, that's a good way to go. Experimentation and, and be willing to iterate uh, are, are the really the two key things that come out of that for me. Yeah. Um, Four Hour Work Week is what I normally recommend people if they haven't read it. Uh, I don't know if you've read it or not. I've read that, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and that comes back to more his journey of getting out of being the center point of his business uh, and, and empowering his team and people to, to make decisions. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's other stuff in there, but those are really the main ones for me. Um, Start with Why by Simon Sinek. Um, I've just finished that recently. Um, I never actually read the book, but I'd seen the, the three circles. Yes, yeah. So, so I think that's a, that's a good one. Um, so those are, those are the tech and tech leadership books that I'd recommend. Brilliant. Okay. That's great. I mean, a great set of books there. Some I've read and some are going to be added to my list. So thank you for that, Ryan. And as we come to the end of our time together, sadly, Ryan, what would be your key takeaway that you'd like to kind of leave the men and women leaders out there as a, as a gift? What's your key takeaway? Hmm. So we, we've talked a lot about accountability, responsibility, but I think I think the key thing is that we all make choices every day. Um, where do we spend our time? What do we spend our time on? Mm -hmm. um, realize that you're accountable for your choices. 
Um, and it's not the other person's fault if you made the choice. Um, so, you know, working on something that's not a priority when it should be the priority and not asking for clarity around your priorities, that's still, that's a choice too. So, so I think that's the thing I'd want people to, to be conscious of is that they, they choose to do a lot of things yes uh, and make good choices good decisions yeah make you uh, get your choices uh, make your choices and then take responsibility for them yeah Love yep excellent note to finish on thank you ryan thank you for your time it's been great having you on board sir well i really respect ryan as a tech leader i've known ryan for a while now i know he's led in some pretty challenging spaces there were some great nuggets shared in this episode with lots and lots of takeaways so what were yours here are mine number one My first key takeaway was around what Ryan said about oil tankers and the valuable commodity that they carry. And in the business that Ryan and Hilo are in, the huge value of the data commodity that they sit on when it's transformed into information, presenting signals that they can act on, signals that can support better decision making, signals that can save lives. My second key takeaway is about empowering teams. I totally agree with what Ryan said when he said, it's okay for decisions to be wrong decisions, provided you can recover from those decisions. Pinning down teams to always get it right first time round is suffocating. I mean, just imagine what that's like. Allow the individual human desire to be creative in creating the outcomes that we collectively want. Allow for some miscalculations. You never know, like some of the great inventions and insights of our time. They were rooted in miscalculations, ones with silver linings. My third and final key takeaway is about creating network structures in organisations, regardless of the hierarchy. As Ryan explained, it's important to ensure that information flows in the organisation, conversations happen in the right places and moments. So once people have this network, this network structure to navigate, they can speak and find the right people to get the right information and better still spark new enlightened conversations for insights and maybe even innovations in the way we work and what we produce. So thank you, Ryan. Thank you for sharing your experience and the work that Hilo does. I really like their tagline, let data save lives. Love it. I'm really interested to see how many lives have been saved through the lens of data. Well, I applaud every single one of them that you saved. Much gratitude, Ryan. I look forward to speaking to you again, sir, and also seeing how high-low maritime risk management saves lives and eliminates distress through the power of data insights. Thank you. And finally, remember to subscribe to CTO Confessions podcast and IT Labs newsletter, where you get regular tech articles and invites to the IT Labs webinar series. URLs for this can be found at the bottom of this page. We are consistently creating material to create, nurture and support a community of tech leaders. And of course, if you want to know more about IT Lab services, including our Teams as a Service service, please don't hesitate to get in touch. As mentioned in the intro, please think of us like tech leaders' favourite off-the-shelf service, providing agility, high-performing teams off that shelf with a wide breadth of skill and knowledge. Well, that's all, folks. Look after each other and keep safe. Wishing you all a good day or evening, wherever you are in the world, from all of us here at IT Labs. Live long, live well and prosper. Until we meet again on the next CTO Confessions podcast.